another episode of Dr. D's Social Network. I'm particularly excited about this next guest that we have, Lene Braxton. Lene and I, she's another person that I had a conversation with ahead of time and just great energy and excitement and I think you guys are going to really enjoy our uh, speaking together because she is a ball of energy and just so kind and caring and I'm excited to introduce you guys to her. So Lene has a bachelor's degree in dance, a master's degree in exercise science with a concentration in sports psychology, and she's currently working on her PhD in mind-body medicine, specializing in Ayurvedic medicine, energy medicine, and hypnosis for optimal performance. She's a member of the International Association for Dance, Medicine, and Science, the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, the NASM Certified Performance Enhancement Specialist. And also, Ms. Braxton is completely trained in, in bar, Pilates, indoor cycling, and yoga. She has twice been nominated as Best Bar Instructor in Best Self Atlanta Magazine and served as a feature contributor and writer for Best Kept Self Magazine. Lene is awesome. Coming straight out of Atlanta, Georgia, here's Lene Braxton. Dr. Parker. Yo, yo. <laughs> hello, hello. All right, we're in a good situation here. Yes, I like it. I like All it. All right. Now, uh, I know that you have a drink. I have a drink. Yes. And that's how we're starting this off with. True. We have to roll into some uh, health benefits, though. <laughs> Studies show that champagne or Prosecco, because I, I kind of keep those in the same line yeah uh have have been shown recently to reduce risk of dementia have you heard that you know what? i didn't hear what you just said i was too busy opening my beer (laughs) (laughs) no i heard i heard some of it there (laughs) i heard that the health benefits of it you're in prosecco no you're doing you prefer prosecco over red wine or what's the deal I actually, I do. I like the bubbles. I also like this is good. a white wine. Is it good? We can hear. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should do uh, an ad for the the, the beer company. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a Costco brand, Kirkland Signature American Pale Ale. It's an yeah. APA. It's pretty good. I was Actually, I was drinking with my neighbor in the backyard one day when uh-huh. I was cutting my grass, and he gave me a bunch of these, but uh, I digress, nice. you know. Nice. Well, yeah, I didn't uh, research the positive health benefits of beer, but I'm sure there are some we could find. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, at least it tastes good. It tastes good. But There's good times coming. You know. Yes, and I do. I prefer a white over a red, although I know, you know, there are many good things about red wine. Uh, you know, there are some good blends, but I do. I like the bubbles, uh, okay. the champagne and... Prosecco are less than 110 calories, and uh, studies have shown recently that uh, they ward off signs of dementia or symptoms, rather. Right. That's what I tell myself with every step. Is that what you say every time when you take a <laughs> yes, drink? Yes, every time. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's pretty yes. good. Well, Lene, it's, uh, I'm so excited to have you on the show here today, and uh, we had a pretty good conversation last time we spoke. Uh, a non-podcast episode, which for a lot of the people I have on here, they are people I've talked to at least once or a couple of times before, and I'm sure that'll change in the future. But uh, I just thought you'd be a great person to be on this show. You have a bubbly personality, a lot like the drink you're drinking right now. <laughs> and uh, so I was really interested, you know, when people send me their bio and stuff and I talk to them I'm like, man, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about... Um, I think it's interesting, like you got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, correct? I did when I was 24 years old. Wow. Take me through that. How, like, you know, the highs, the lows, what was life yes. like before that? And then once it hit, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, my bachelor's degree is in dance. I'm a natural mover. I like to even say movement is medicine. And I'm a walk, walking uh advertisement for that theory actually um danced all my life and uh when I was 24 years old although I'm I'm dating myself aging myself here okay uh, (laughs) uh but that that was 
19 years ago, I started experiencing some numbness very quickly within the course of maybe three to four days. Numbness, my left leg started dragging and I went to the doctor. They didn't really know what's wrong. You know, at the age of 24, very active. Uh, I actually was on the very first cheerleading squad for the Carolina Panthers when they first opened the stadium, the inaugural cheerleading squad. I was uh, one of their very first captains, very active, very um, energetic uh, and and wonderful physical condition. And so the, the doctors, the primary care physician at the time, just said, hey, you probably just need some rest. Why don't you just go and take some time, relax a little bit get some rest. And I did that. Felt a little bit better. Then woke up the next morning, you know, pushing again at 24, uh, 24, saying I could just go to go into work at the time I worked for Bank of America, which is headquartered in Charlotte. Uh, And then experienced that I could not lift my arm. I just couldn't. And it it was pretty devastating. Uh, Through a series of tests, including an MRI, we figured out that there were several lesions on my brain. And uh, I experienced paralysis. Um, Now, after that, I was in a a rehab facility uh, for about three weeks with extensive inpatient physical therapy. And what I learned during that, that time is that a lot of muscles that I had been using through dance were starting to kind of refire Mm. and reignite. And my physical therapists and doctors at the time, in particular, my neurologist thought it was just interesting that I was experiencing feeling again so quickly. And they, they pretty much chalked it up at the time to muscle memory from all of my years of dance. And uh, I, I regained feeling pretty quickly uh, and then just pretty much stayed active after that. And I just believe that truly movement is medicine. I think getting into physical therapy very soon, uh, having a movement practice before and after uh, is really something that has been integral in my care. I have personal friends and clients that walk with canes that have been diagnosed with MS at my age. Um, are walking with canes and the common denominator I find are diet lifestyle and exercise regimen. And, and there's been some research recently that's been published of that. So that's my, that's kind of in a nutshell. Yes. <laughs> the five minute spill walking you through, through that. Well, were there, were there any times where you just, you were at a really low point after the diagnosis, you know, just, the feelings, being emotional about it. Tell, tell me a little bit about that, if you did experience that. Yes. Yes, I did. And, you know, to be completely candid with you, Dr. Darian Parker, I, I experience that even now. Um, we all, I think, as human beings, share the, the commonality of, of highs and lows, ups and downs. Some of us, I think, deal with it better than others. Some of us, I know, have a genetic propensity to to actually experience and I'll just call it what it is depression that's mm-hmm. what um, uh, the the medical term has has been coined as depression uh, multiple sclerosis patients uh, have, who have been diagnosed with the condition actually show a very very high probability of experiencing depression uh, from a nor- neurological standpoint uh, and I was really low at the time because my friends were in their mid-20s and living life to the fullest, um, all of a sudden, it, things were more difficult for me than I experienced before. Uh, I, I do believe that some of the physiological benefits of exercise and having a movement practice positively impacted my mental state. And, and I, I really do think that the two are connected. And as a matter of fact, I am currently... Uh, pursuing my doctorate, my PhD in mind-body medicine, because I believe so wholly in the mind and body connection. 
That's wonderful. I think uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel very similar about that mm-hmm. the mind body connection. Mm-hmm. And yeah. over the years, that's that has grown uh, significantly for me uh, with yeah. that. You know, I think with uh, multiple sclerosis, you know, for me, like I remember uh, maybe this is this is going to date myself too. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I it, wasn't born then, so I'll just take a guess. You, okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, remember with, uh, God, with the talk show host, um, Montel, Montel Williams. Yes. Yeah. And he got diagnosed with MS, I believe. Yes, and, uh, and I remember thinking like, it just seemed like it was going to be really bad for him once yes. he had it. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember everything about it, but he seemed, I don't know how he is today, but he seemed like he was fighting it pretty well when he, when he had it. Yes. Yes. He, he is from what I, uh, have last heard. We have, some mutual friends and connections mm-hmm. over the years. And from what I understand, he is doing well with his condition. Yeah. There are other things that have kind of taken a turn. I know the um, TV industry can be quite taxing. Yes. And uh, running a, and hosting a daily talk show, I know impacted him. But I will say about 10 years ago, he had a, a doctor by the name of Amber Roach on his show. And also was diagnosed with MS. And what she says is that she was on her deathbed, essentially. She was able to not only heal herself, but make a full recovery. And now uh, has a couple of books out there that have really been helpful for myself personally. And uh, just for kind of taking the charge. And some of the leading research on the connection of diet and lifestyle and MS. And there are several different types, by the way. I just want to throw that caveat out there. Um, And also a little disclaimer, I'm not diagnosing or uh, giving any medical advice. However, uh, all of this is public knowledge and can be found with a simple Google search. (laughs) I was just just on the phone with uh, one of my colleagues earlier today, just Mm -hmm. one of the phone calls I have every week. And yeah. And and we were just talking about that, you know, people can look up things very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it doesn't make them understand it completely. This, or everybody yes. thinks they have so much access to things that they know so much, but they don't always know all the intricacies related to those things. Yes. And in particular, when it comes to any kind of medical condition, not just multiple sclerosis, uh, a lot of the complementary and alternative therapies are still uh, somewhat, I would say, groundbreaking and non-traditional. I don't think allopathic medicine or conventional medicine is really uh, in alignment totally yet. We're getting there. But I do think that uh, a lot of these uh, things that you find on the internet, you're right. Some of them can be misleading. I definitely think uh, everyone needs to follow the guidance of their physician. But but in addition to uh, there are some some people like Anne that are out there that are qualified to to uh, give some good uh, information. Certainly. So have you always been from Atlanta, Georgia, or did you grow up in different places? Tell me about that a little bit. No, I was actually born in L.A. on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad did a little acting. And my parents moved out there in the 1970s, but both of them hailed from North Carolina. And when my my dad, uh, we were younger, I'm the oldest of three, went back to law school in North Carolina. We moved back to their home. And I grew up in Durham, North Carolina, uh, kind of near the Research Triangle Park, where Duke University is located. Right. And... uh, have been in Atlanta about goodness about 17 and a half years oh a while yeah yeah it's, it's been a while so Atlanta is home now so what do you you know I've, I was thinking about this before we got on and mm-hmm. you know, think about Atlanta I think you and I probably have an interesting opportunity to discuss um, you know Atlanta and black culture and mm-hmm. fitness and mm-hmm. wellness and I think it's a unique thing yes. that maybe a lot of people that I talk with or they're not going to be able to speak about it. You know, it's yes. just not their ethnicity, identity, culture, the whole thing. So, you know, how do you see Atlanta in terms of health and wellness? Where, where is it now from where it has been? Atlanta is booming. I, um, I'm so 
proud and excited to be here right now, actually. Uh, in the 17, 18 years that we've been here, I can see a huge change. It's interesting because someone recently uh, from the UK on LinkedIn, since a lot of since your conversations in this podcast is kind of the, the birth as a result of LinkedIn. Yes. So another shout out to LinkedIn. A connection from the UK actually tagged me on a post about the emerging Atlanta vegan mm. African American population. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and so um, just starting there with uh, plant based diets. Uh, there are vegan food trucks. Uh, there are um, a lot of wellness professionals here a really, really, really rich population of, um, I would say, hip-hop-based culture that was birthed here in the days of Outkast. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, that then emerges and morphs into trap music. Mm-hmm. And that has been infused into the workout culture and fitness culture. So how and so? It's beautiful. That's, I'm... I'm- you know, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, I think I saw something was like trap yoga or something like that. And yeah, and I was like, I, I, I'm interested, like, just I think it's an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, a unique point of view. Like, I know for me as uh, African-American fitness professional executive mm-hmm. over the years, I see I see like myself only a lot of the times. Yes. Right. And do, do you have you experienced that? Maybe in Atlanta, maybe different. The population demographics are different, mm-hmm. but maybe speak to that a little bit. Yes. I, I think um, the beautiful thing is I've always believed and it's maybe a result of being born on the West Coast and kind of having a melting pot um, of ethnicities within my own family personally. Mm-hmm. But I have to say that um, the beautiful thing is not only is there diversity of culture, but there's diversity of thought. And, and a lot of times I do see only myself, but it depends on where. So for example, um, I work with aging populations and a lot of corporate clients. Sometimes there, there may be very few minorities in that environment. I'm hoping to change that because I do believe representation matters. Certainly. But in the, in the, uh, culture wherein yes you i'm sure you saw trap yoga there's a friend that i know that has a trap pilates studio that is just beautiful and um there's enough for everyone i personally love old school r&b me too uh, yeah oh man (laughs) okay so how old school are we talking here um well again i'm dating myself but you know atlanta is the birth of LaFace records baby face and uh so we're talking late 80s early 1990s and um maybe even mid 80s which i again (laughs) i'm not really claiming to remember you remember come on you you (laughs) remember like groups like silk and stuff like that yes absolutely come on lsg come on lsg i do um TLC. Keith Sweat, um, man. <laughs> yeah, Keith Sweat. Actually, Keith Sweat, there's an amphitheater near our house. And um, a lot of old school R&B groups come there. There was this group called Total that Keith Sweat actually founded. Yes. Um, back, yeah, in the day. And he just happened to be in the neighborhood. And we got a bonus concert from him. Wow. <laughs> he walked on stage and did like eight songs. What? Drew Hill was there that Oh, night. man. I was so yeah. into Drew Hill back. I was, like, yeah. leading that bandwagon. Actually, I was listening. Yeah. I was on, like, a Amazon Prime Music, mm-hmm, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I forgot about all these good Drew Hill songs, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Guy was there oh, that Aaron night. Hall. Oh, man. Aaron Hall. Yeah, Teddy Wright. So, basically, it was a big reunion in their neighborhood in this amphitheater, and it was beautiful. So, a lot of that I find those of us that are in our forties and uh, maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit younger, we want to hear that music when we exercise. Otherwise, we just don't want to do it. You know what's and funny? I say, yeah, I uh-huh. feel the same way. Like uh, you know, I know a lot of people like they want to listen to like techno or some mm-hmm. rock music and stuff. And 
I mean, I'm not a huge listener of music when I work out, but when I do, I hmm, always listen. It's going to sound weird. I, no. I like listening to slow jams when I work out. Yeah. That's something very few people know about me. But I interesting. I, I don't know what it is. It's like I like I want to hear Usher. I want to hear Chris yeah. Brown. And I want to hear Drew Hill. You know, I want to hear yeah. um, just a variety of, of people. Mm-hmm. Maxwell, you know. Like, yes. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it's workout music, but it's like what I grew up on, what it's I true. like to listen it's to. True. So it's kind of strange yeah. in a sense. But I but anyway, I sorry I interrupted you, but I, That's I, I okay. get that, you know. No, no, I love the flow of our conversations. Um, the last one and this one. And it's funny you say that Usher is from here. And um, I, I do the same thing. I do want to revisit why you choose to work out without music. I'm interested in that. Yeah, so if yeah. we could circle back to, to that. But For I sure. would say I, the same thing. I um, it's, teach spin classes, indoor cycling classes, and there will be slow jams in, on the playlist. That's amazing. I, they're mm. perfect for hill climbs and isolations and uh, I find that music can be a distraction and I, I really do think it's the universal language even though we started off talking about the African-American community which happy I want to talk some more about yeah. that as well but I really find that music's the universal language and when I put on these old school jams based on the age I think will be the commonality in the class that's when you have people enjoying it versus race or, or ethnicity right yeah right no that makes that makes a lot of sense it's just it's so funny for me I was like man I don't know anybody that likes what I like to listen to because <laughs> I mean like I said I'll, I'll get to the whole not music thing but when I do listen to music it's kind of like I'm listening to stuff that almost nobody I know listens to <laughs> now if I was really? in Atlanta that's probably very different for yes. me but I'm you know, sure. it's probably you know regional uh local and stuff and you mm-hmm. know um ethnicity-wise, but I kind of grew up around a lot of different music, but I always just mm-hmm. gravitated to the slow jams. I just, yeah. I don't know, there's something about it that, you know, just like, you know, the beat, the rhythm, you know, 808 drums, the whole thing mm-hmm. is All has always that. been a thing. But music in general, when I work out, it never been, I, I, like sometimes I will try to listen to music mm-hmm. and I get annoyed by it, even if I love it. It's just interesting it gets it get, it bothers me <clears throat> like, okay i rather hmm. i rather be with i don't even want to think about anything i want to be almost blank when i work out okay so I, oh. i'm a very very hardcore exerciser i was a collegiate athlete track and field mm-hmm. athlete mm-hmm. and you know back in the day dating myself again you know you weren't we didn't have <laughs> phones and uh things right. you could like listen to when you're warmed up and all that you just went right. out there and the weather was your music. The people you ran with mm-hmm. was the music. The rhythm of the feet, you know, pounding, you know, on the track. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. in these groups. And so the rhythm was like this almost cadence of this running rhythm. I was going to ask you that. Um, from a dancer's perspective, mm-hmm. sometimes just the breath of it. Um, I teach Pilates. And in classical Pilates, it is said that the breath and sometimes even the springs from the apparatus should be the music. Classical Pilates teachers typically do not condone music during class. Contemporary Pilates teachers do, but, uh, and are usually okay with that variation, but not having music allows you to hear your breath, the rhythm of your body, and really focus on the exercise. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. I, I, Mm -hmm. I, that's always been my thing. Like for me, like, I was always used to very hardcore exercise and with like with mm-hmm. being a collegiate athlete. And I just kind of kept that up as uh, throughout yeah. the years. And uh, I always like knowing how my body's feeling, like being really tapped into that. Mm. Like what, you know, the, my pain level, my threshold, like really monitoring mm-hmm. my body. Because when I was a runner, we got to the point where we always had watches to time mm-hmm. our uh, intervals and stuff on the track. And, uh, yeah. and at one point we didn't even need them anymore because if, if it was 24 second pace, I knew what that was, how that felt like internally. Wow. So I didn't even need my watch. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to do 15 sets of, you know, 200 meters at yeah. this pace. And I wouldn't need my watch. I would know exactly what that felt like. And I think wow. we don't, hmm. I think sometimes like, and there's a lot of research articles out coming out now and are out about how 
people are are very fixated on their phones or the technology or an app mm-hmm. and that some there's people who, like they can't even function in a workout if they don't have that stuff mm-hmm. and i well yes. maybe you should learn how to do it without it just to get and to start listening to your body i mean i'm not knocking if you that's what you need to get mm-hmm. pumped up i mean if i go to a spin class i love to hear good music believe me it's yeah. it's very exciting but uh if you ask me like if we had the choice to keep it or not i'd be like mm-hmm. i don't want it you know i just wow that's just mm-hmm. me though that's interesting. I heard a couple of things as you were speaking. The first one being, uh, I was going to ask you if you were a long distance uh, athlete. Or, I was a sprinter. Uh, sprinter, mm-hmm. sprinter, yes. Mm-hmm. And I got that when you were talking about 200 meter. And then uh, a couple of different things about, I think you and I both, even though I tend to gravitate toward uh, therapeutic exercise, right. that's my specialty in recovery. And so usually we pair very well you with the hardcore exercise and yeah. the recovery. Um, but I was going to ask you, I, I find that things that are inherent to us and just come naturally don't to the average person. So I'd like to visit just a little bit. When you do suggest to your clients to cut the music or the technology, how does that go over with them? Uh, at least in my sphere, it goes mm-hmm. over pretty well. Um, okay. I think I get a lot of people who are maybe used to having music in their life pretty mm-hmm. regularly when they work out. So like, say they're training with me, um, mm-hmm. they kind of get lost in the fact that there's no music because it's just oh. us two talking. Yeah. And, you know, I'm their music, you know, my voice, yeah. the conversations we're having, you know, the, mm-hmm. just the, the flow of what we're doing, being immersed in that. And like with my, uh, my live online personal training business, you know, there's no mm-hmm. music. There's, there's no environment of people talking mm-hmm. around. It's very quiet. It's just us having a conversation. It's very primitive. It's very, very raw. And I'm just a big proponent. Like I never liked when I would see people running around like on a sidewalk mm-hmm. or something near the street and yes. they can't, how can you understand where your surroundings are? Like cars, right. you know, I different, you're, you're losing your mastery of your environment. And so i think i'm kind of a dinosaur because you know when i'm when i'm in a gym or i'm outside doing something Mm -hmm. nobody sees me uh, unless i'm training somebody and i have my airpods in to train the person Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. different because i'm having the conversation with them i'm telling them what to do while i'm looking at them through my phone screen the whole thing but if it's just me I look yes. like nobody else because I'm, I'm not connected to anything. I, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. I will say I actually use music to help my clients zone out. Mm-hmm. For example, I will take them back to a place in their mind, a happy place. For example, we were talking about R&B. Well, let's go even a little more old school. When the late, great Aretha Franklin passed away. Right. I love curating a good playlist that's themed around some of her beautiful, beautiful right. songs. And so then, then it becomes less about, oh, this stretch hurts and more about, well, we're thinking about like a bridge over troubled waters or, <laughs> you know, something. Um, and so it's a little bit less about the music and more about the feeling. Right. So I, can, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about being aware of your surroundings, tapping into the mind-body connection. But I, I do think that there's a way to kind of use the music to take people to a place that isn't so much about the music. It's more about themselves yeah. also. But that's rare because usually people who have on those <laughs> earpods mm-hmm. are, are listening to the music and not in touch i think it's just so built into me you know it's like it's almost genetic feels like to me i mean Mm -hmm. i know it sounds kind of weird but like no i will try because i have my airpods in a lot to train clients Mm -hmm. and my real-time thing it's unnatural for me to do it but it's you know it's been worked it's worked out for me but when i am training i'm like this is this is annoying like this is and i'm listening i'm trying to build the set list of things i love to listen to yeah. And even though I'm like, man, I really, I love, this is great. I love listening to Throwback by Usher on that Confessions uh-huh. album. It's great. But then like midway through the song, I like take them out, AirPods out. And I'm like, 
I need, I need to actually feel what I'm doing. I need to like be in my body completely. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's so, it, I've tried so many times. I'm like, Oh, this is just not for me, but I've, yeah. I've learned how to do kind of both in terms of my business. Mm -hmm. But then also personally, it's just, it's just not a thing for me. I don't know. It's, it's really strange. And I remember one time I was telling this guy about this many years ago, he got kind of defensive about it. I wasn't even talking to him hmm. about like, <laughs> I don't say like, don't use it if you want to. It's great. I mean, I'm not judging it. It's just my personal thing. And he was like, well, some of us need this, you know, to exercise and actually do a workout. Huh. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. I said, that's you just for me. You know, I, I, I don't need that. I, I want to feel, I want to feel the pressure. I want to feel the pain. I want when I'm at mm -hmm. that point where I'm like, should I continue? I want that feeling. It's kind of sick. It's kind of yeah. weird. I know. But no, it's, it's, like, it's not actually. You know, you know why? It, it isn't. I can, I can, I hear what you're saying. That's why I asked the initial question about uh, how your clients have handled that. And so I, I can see now both pictures that you paint it very vividly. So thank you for that. But also um, my master's degree in exercise science specializes in sports psychology right so what you're talking about just kind of segueing into that um i hear you speaking of that zone that athletes yes the flow have. yep mm -hmm. the flow that that zone that place that it's almost indescribable so no it doesn't sound weird at all i think at a certain level those of us that have um played sports or performed uh even non-sport performers I think there is that place where it's on the threshold of pain, but you're performing at such an, a high level yeah. that you, it's indescribable, that feeling. It's almost like a high, if you will. Yeah, I, yeah. I totally agree. I mean, I used to teach some lectures and seminars on flow mm -hmm. and getting in the state. You know, it's, yeah. it's different for everybody, but you know, there's ways to get into it that are personal for you. And for Absolutely. some people, it is music. I mean, I, I get it. Like, you got a great set list. I get a great instructor. Let's say it's a spin class. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, every song is a hit. It's like, oh, man, I just heard Good Life, Kanye West. I'm going to take it up <laughs> the next level. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not, like, against that. Like, I get excited, mm -hmm. too. But it's just kind of like, I would prefer not to. Like, yeah. you know, I, so, but I with, get that. You know what I, I mean? Totally so it's just a preference. That. I do. But with my clients, I feel like, they've been with me so long and even the new people mm -hmm. I get, I think they just, I don't even talk about music with them. Like when they start with me, I'm like, Oh, play some music yeah. in background. I'm like, no, we're going to talk. Yeah. And I'm going to take you through it. And then all of a sudden they realize they probably don't need it. I mean, they've never, if you've never had it, how do you miss something or need it? You know, like, I don't know. It could add to your life for sure, but it's, I've never had one person go, can you play music during this in your background? <laughs> or can I play music in mine? I've literally never had that request ever. I think that you may be humble, though, uh, about your ability to tap in. Uh, basically, what you're what I'm hearing is that you're one of the best. And that oh, you're, come on. No, <laughs> <you're quite laughs> no. So deep. no. no I'm, I'm saying that I'm taking that from my uh, experience. What I'm hearing is that, you know, you're you're just you're good. And quite honestly, a lot of teachers, and we can even go into this a little bit into the uh, exercise world. I'm, I'm interested to, to get your uh, thoughts on some of the uh, commercialization, mm. <laughs> if you will, uh, commercialization of fitness. Um, so kind of going yeah. into that. Yeah. I, I think that a good, um, exercise physiologist or uh, trainer or um, just specialist is able to tap into that and music isn't needed. I think what we've gotten away from is what you're saying that, you know, exactly that your clients don't really need it. They, you know, my one-on-one -on -one Pilates clients, a lot of times we forget the music. We do. Right. Uh, right. Even though I, you know, I enjoy curating a good playlist, but most of the time, with my private Pilates clients, we do not use music, um, especially when I'm doing classical work. And I think that's because we don't need it. 
you and I, I don't know if it's because we've been doing this so yeah. many years or um, <laughs> just uh, we're able to tap into that connection and we also have relationship with our clients. But I think what we've gotten into just as much as there's inspiration with music and theme rides and theme classes and all of this, I just think that fitness has become so commercial that people need that. And, and the quality of teachers, and, and I hope that this isn't politically incorrect, but real talk, there, there are some teachers or trainers that aren't of that caliber. They've gone to a one-day workshop. Yeah. And, you know, I, there's there's room for everyone. And I mean that in the most respectful <laughs> way. But yeah. I think that, you know, there's some of that when you talk about music and technology. You know, to heck with, is somebody going to get injured because they're listening to, you know, yeah, <laughs> the latest music. So, yeah, let's. I think let's the commercialization, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I think there's two sides to it for me personally is one that, you know, the fitness health wellness business pretty still still in its infancy in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's not the nursing profession. You know, it's right. it's not yoga, I guess, almost has been around forever. But like mm-hmm. like like fitness, like in its commercial form is, is extremely new. And the consciousness of, you know, uh, the world, I mean, America's you know, really fast forwarded with it. But then you have countries and places like Singapore mm-hmm. and Australia that are literally just coming online with fitness and wellness and yes. it's becoming a thing. And so uh, it, it's it's still as much as commercial as it is. And I think that it's good that it's getting out there. I don't mm-hmm. know that it's actually moved the needle a lot for the majority of people in the sense that if you still look at the numbers for it, we're drastically uh, under-exercised country in America. I mean, it's still, the numbers are still pretty bad when it comes to people who are actually daily exercising. And I remember going to a conference not that long ago, and it's like the commercialization of fitness is making people who are already fit, fitter. Yes. And, and it's still, it's leaving out the people that probably need it the most at I this agree. point. So yes. we, I think we have a tremendously long way to go with that because it's a uh, fitness society almost mirrors um, society in terms of the wealth gap. I look at it very similar, yes. like super fit people are like the rich people. And then mm-hmm. uh, people who are obese or they're a lot of health conditions, they're like on the poverty line, basically. Mm-hmm. I agree it's, with it, that. It mirrors it so much to me. And, you know, we haven't really figured that out very well in society. The wealth gap continues to widen. And in many ways, if you look at it, the fitness gap has continued to widen as well, because really, you know, somebody talks about a spin class and soul cycle in New York City and L.A. That caters. That's not that's not catering to people who are at the poverty line for that. Yes, that's catering to wealthy people. Yeah, I agree that people in Mississippi, Alabama. I'm sorry. I mean, I've been Mm -hmm. to those places and they're beautiful places and stuff. But like that's not on the map there. You know, it's not, I agree. So that's kind of my take on it. You know, I agree. And and there, there are a couple of, uh, I think branches from that tree, if you will, uh, for the sake of, of, of kind of painting a picture there. I think, uh, the wealth gap is huge, but you were just talking about the, the obesity epidemic, the diabetes epidemic and a lot of other chronic illnesses um, that are directly related to to exercise and health and, and diet. And I think that as you're mentioning it, the the commercial places that those are targeted for a certain demographic and socioeconomic uh, status. However, I do believe that there's the desire for for people in uh, disparaged communities to now exercise more. And I think given the opportunity, uh, they would. So I, closing the gap, I think we're charged with that, really, um, as professionals to find ways to close the gap a bit, whether it's walking clubs or Right. Pro, pro bono services, uh, working with organizations. I also think targeting 
the young people, the children, the way to, to, and you and I spoke of this just a bit um, on our initial call that wasn't recorded about creating a pipeline. Yes. I think we really have to get to the youth. Not that we disregard the elderly or uh, adults, but I do think that uh, capturing the youth and instilling uh, physical fitness in them is really the way to go because it will create a pipeline of, of raising healthier adults. Well, how do you, I think it's, again, I think this is a very interesting conversation mm-hmm. between two people uh, that may have a very different perspective than a lot of other people. But mm-hmm. um, I, I wonder about that. Well, let me take it back a little bit. I remember when I was in college at James Madison University, which mm-hmm. predominantly very more of a white university mm-hmm. you know, occasion. <clears throat> and and even though I was an athlete, I was around a lot of other African-Americans mm-hmm. or that. But when I would go to the University Recreation Center, it was a sea of white people. And yeah. and then there'd like maybe be one or two black people. And yeah. and I remember I used to remember and I used to sit down with a lot of a lot of African-American females in the cafeteria. I'm like, mm-hmm. I would never see them in the gym yeah. ever. Yeah. And there was quite a in learning. There was quite a few mm-hmm. of uh, people of our ethnicity in, in the university more than I knew. But they were not there. And I just wonder how like. You know, affecting that, especially in, in, in impoverished communities and especially in black mm-hmm. communities where, you know, and if you look at health promotion, it's a lot of it is about you know, meeting a person's basic needs before getting them to the higher levels of, let's say, Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah. That, you know, yes. if a person doesn't have transportation, uh, they're mm-hmm. living in uh, food deserts. It's mm-hmm. it's it can be really difficult, and I and, and I I don't know if this is still the stat, but I think like African American women, I think that population has really had the toughest time in terms of health and wellness mm-hmm. in our country. So maybe speak on that a little. Yes, bit. Yes, absolutely, and that statistic uh, still exists. I think in Atlanta, because there is such a rich population of upper middle class African Americans. Mm. Um, occasionally I'll blink my eyes and have a false sense of security um, because this isn't the case in every Atlanta neighborhood where there is extreme poverty still. Um, And the boutique fitness studios that I'm speaking of, again, even though it may be uh, trap Pilates, it's still a socioeconomic demographic that can afford Trap Pilates. <laughs> Not in the actual neighborhoods that the trap music was. was... It's like being bumped hard, yeah, you know? Like exactly. it's kind of ironic, right? I mean... It is. It really is. And um and, and something else, you know, this is just some may say it's unrelated, but as an African American woman, it, it's definitely related. Hair. Yeah. Another thing in Atlanta I see are a lot of uh beautiful African American women or women of color, Latina. Uh, as well with natural hair right when you're wearing your hair natural and it's natural state it doesn't necessarily matter if it gets wet or you sweat (laughs) so you're able to work out now this is a real I I know my mom talks about it all the time man it's like she's like I can't get my hair messed up you know like it's true it's like a barrier that a lot of other ethnicities don't do not have to worry about very much so very much so. And, um, but there are solutions, again, targeted to upperly, uh, upper middle class. Uh, I have a, a friend um, that has started a, an app, a, a hair blow dry app that comes to your house. And, mm-hmm. but you have to afford the service, you know. Right. So then again, <laughs> the, deck, have a the deck is stacked. Hairstylist. <laughs> and then. So, um, you know, I, it's, it's something to think about. And I'm glad you mentioned it because now I, I, I definitely feel a responsibility to, to try to crack the code just a little bit more to yeah. figure, figure this out. What's um, the hack? You know, there's got to be a hack, hack for it. You know, what's the hack? I will say that I have encouraged a lot of my African-American female clients to do low impact and low intensity exercise. Um, wherein it may not have as big of a cardiovascular payoff, but it's still movement. 
Right. So um, it's something. Isn't that amazing, though? Like, yeah. the hair impacts the ability it does. For extras. And I, I'm so aware of this, you know, my black mm-hmm. mother and mm-hmm. and aunts and and just I, I know all about it. And it was so mm-hmm. common for me. But like when I talk yeah. to other people, they, they can't fathom that. They don't they understand that. And mm-hmm. there's just so many different things related to, you know, ethnicities and mm-hmm. culture that are, are very there's de- very different obstacles and barriers related to that. And it sounds if you're looking at it from the outside, you go, that just sounds very trivial. It's mm-hmm. your hair. Who cares? But mm-hmm. that's a huge source of pride and identification uh, of African-American women. It is. It's a strong cultural footing and rooting, if you will. And, you know, it's something because it isn't um, as talked about, there's still a stigma. And I think that, you know, kudos to us for even talking about it. I think it needs to be talked about because I think that when we talk about these things, then we can, can find solutions. Um, you know, I think it's something maybe we think more positively about it and be proud of the fact that, Hey, you know, this is, this is what it is. So what, what is a workaround? What's the solution? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. It's a, it's fascinating stuff. I think that's why I like doing, Mm -hmm just podcasts and speaking with people is you're getting different perspectives. And this is a very unique perspective between two people and hopefully that other people in our community and ethnicity, they say, you know, Mm -hmm. this is, I think that's part of, I feel like my mission is like Mm -hmm. the black man. I was like, I got to get out there and I have to be, I have to be a light. You know, I have to showcase that, Hey, you know, this is the possibility and you can be in leadership uh, positions and, mm-hmm. and not that we don't have that. We have that in a lot of businesses. But fitness mm-hmm. seems to be something where we are not very well represented in a leadership position. I think uh, the operative word is leadership. Yeah. Absolutely. A, a lot, lot of trainers of, and stuff. Yes, but, you know. there are a lot of trainers. Um, and, and that's why I was talk, touching just a little bit about the commercial markets because I think education is key also. You know, people have asked me, so what? what's the difference between a good Pilates teacher and why are you you know why have you gotten your master's and why are you going on to get your PhD I'd like just to hear a little bit more about your PhD because I think that um, education not only formal education but also educating uh, the communities about career paths are important yeah Yeah. and I think for me you know I education was always incredibly important in my family Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't a lot of education, you know, my, my dad was the first person in our family to ever graduate from college. I mean, that's, oh, wow. that's wow. like nothing. That's like barely happened, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. and then we had, I had a few other like uh, cousins who ended up graduating from college and such, but mm-hmm. you know, when you think about all the generations of family that, I mean, that's literally nothing. I mean, yeah. it's such a low statistic mm-hmm. and my mother especially is very much like, Hey, you're going to make something of yourself. You're going to get educated. You're going to go to college. And, and after, you know, I think their whole thing was just at least get a bachelor's degree. And then Mm -hmm. my mother was always in my ear about, well, maybe take it one step further. You know, what about your master's? And I value what my mother says. So I said, okay, we'll do that. And then I never forget, I was at my master's degree uh, graduation. Especially, Mm -hmm. this is always funny. I think in black families, graduation is gigantic. It's it's like a huge it's you don't huge. skip. I remember I, this is just real talk here. I remember I had a lot it of white friends huge. who skipped their graduations. And I remember said like I, I got upset about it. I was like, you know, maybe you feel like so many people in your family have done it. It's not a big thing. Uh-huh. I said, but an ethnicity of people who have been repressed over many, many generations, this is huge for us. And our families, they all they take it in very heavily. Everybody. Everybody is like, Everybody. like they graduated. You know, it's like, yes. you represent an entire race of people when you mm-hmm. graduate. And so my, you know, we were sitting at my master's graduation and my mom goes, they were, they were going through the, the doctoral graduates. My mom goes, I bet you could do that. I mm. bet you can get your doctorate. Until then I had never thought wow. about it ever. Wow. And she, that voice in my ear, she said, you could do it. And, uh, and I did, and I became the first and still the only person in my entire family that has their doctorate. 
And uh, I'm proud of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm leading the way. And I think it's incredibly important for other African-American people to see like mm-hmm. somebody. Listen, I don't need that to be in my business to have a yeah. doctorate, but it's mm-hmm. a symbol. It was a symbol yeah. for me. Yes. And it was a lonely road because I was the only one always mm-hmm. going through my as I went higher in education, there was less of me. I can relate. Right? I can relate. Yeah. And you are really you're like the lone soldier when you get up mm-hmm. that high. And, and and because it's just it's not pushed always into us to, you know, go that high and strive harder. And then I think I mean we could talk about this for hours and then there's yes, the we could. opposite. We, we need another episode. I know. And then there's the opposite of almost like fighting against your ethnicity when yeah. people think you've you've gone too far. Yes. And then they say, Oh, you're you know, you're too smart. You're too, you're an uncle Tom or something mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. th- so you're fighting like this kind of like inner, inner, you know, um, ethnicity battle of becoming too educated, but then you should be more educated. It's confusing yes. on yes. some level. And when I talk to some of my friends mm-hmm. about it, that, that are not black, they, they literally don't understand that they're not, they can't imagine that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's see, so what I, I have to work two times harder than you to get to the same point you are with that. Yeah. They, I, don't, they don't understand that. And I think it's responsibility of people, especially now in today's society, that you need to start understanding what other people are going through. Like, it's, it's, you just can't walk through life being very blase about stuff. Yes, I agree. I agree. And uh, we probably could have another hour to talk about that well but... i've been drinking too so i could definitely you know <laughs> but this is good this is important stuff uh, no it's... we're gonna do another we're gonna do yeah. another one because i think this is a uh, this is stuff i listen to a lot of podcasts honestly i never hear this stuff so yeah. i think um if, you know i uh, we got to run here but i want to yes. let's schedule another time mm-hmm. here soon to pick up and get uh part two you know i think maybe this first part would be a good one to put out but then come out with another one after like yeah. hey you like this one we're going to come back with another one with sounds with, with Lene, to so. me. sounds perfect thank you so much paper. for uh having a drink with me and having talking about some pretty amazing things absolutely cheers i enjoy cheers it. <laughs> all right lenae we'll talk to you soon talk with you soon all Take right care. thanks bye-bye